Grateful to see you this morning, um, especially if you're new. If you're new with us, we're, we're grateful that you're here. Um, just want to share a couple of things as we uh, kind of get our offering going around the room. So uh, we, we're going to take our offering, and if, if this is something you want to be a part of, you are more than welcome. That's how many of us uh, worship uh, just in our gifts and are our, our just so gr- grateful for what God has given us. So a couple of uh, quick things to share with you. A number of us got a chance to run or walk or... Um, make it through the Global 6K yesterday in Arvada, which was really, really fun. Yeah, for some of us that did that. Um, listen, um, it's, it, was, it was great to be a part of it. it, it was, it's an international event, and one of the things that was pretty fun is our um, first time ever we did it, we've done it in Arvada, and so a number of churches got together, and we raised, I think, over $14,000 for um, clean water, which was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So next year, um, for those of you, listen, this big tub ran the whole thing, okay? So some of you are like, well, if he ran it, yeah, you can run it too. Um, although at the end, I'm running next to Sarah, and at the end, she starts talking to me. Like, like she's like, well, what's the sermon on tomorrow? And I'm like, like. Jesus, uh, uh, you know, I'm just like barely making it. So, but I made it. And so you guys can make it. So next year, run with us. It would be awesome. Um, we're going to have a baptism coming up. And we would love to know if you're interested in being baptized. Maybe you have come uh, uh, to, a, to a faith in Jesus this year. You've been around our community. You've, you've listened. You've asked questions. You're, 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 maybe you're wrestling. Maybe you're at the point where you're even wrestling right now. We would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, baptism is one of the ways that for millennia, the church has uh, invited people into a faith with Jesus, invited people into a community of Jesus followers. And we would love to do that with you um, in June. And we're going to do it here. And so love to have that uh, feedback. If you would like to be a part of that, let me know. Um, We have a connection card in a row. You can write your name. Uh, you can uh, write baptize. Uh, you can, if you don't know how to spell it, that's okay too. We'll f- figure it out. Just hook, get hooked on phonics, get through that, write it down. We'd love to have you be a part of it. Last but not least, really important, our church and uh, a couple other churches are, are partnering up to help Arvada High School run um, their uh, Arvada Youth Sports Camp. It's just called Arvada Sports Camp. We were part of it last year. Some of you volunteered uh, to help us with a lot of different things. This year, we have a whole bunch more of people being involved, and it's going to be a lot bigger of uh, a camp. Um, Some big sponsors in the area, things like that. So we are actually, registration is open. If you would like to register your kids up through sixth grade, um, I think it goes K through six, correct, Mandy? Cool. No, Mandy. K through six um, is is the deal. You can sign them up. If you would like to help coach or or be a part of it or help register kids or anything like that, let us know. We will get you involved. All right? Okay. We ready? You only have me the rest of the way. Okay? It's just this. So hang in there. Dan, it's time to go to sleep. He had a late night. 
Uh, Randy, too, you guys can nap it up. Um, by the way, before we, before we keep going, um, I am so thankful. I just wanted to say, and, and, and Elliot's back there playing around with equipment. We are so, I am so, I personally am so grateful to work with Elliot. Um, if you have not met Elliot um, and you're new, um, you need to meet Elliot and Jen. But uh, their heart for worship and for this church is just so great. And um, it is so fun to collaborate with this guy and hear his heart and his, his dreams for this place. And so... He works really hard um, to lead us into worship each week. So if you get a chance, you just go love on Elliot. I don't know, it just came out. That wasn't even in my notes, Elliot. That was just me and you, love, right there. All right, get your Bibles out or your phones or your lazy eyes on the screen because we are going to look at Luke chapter 10. Um, we have, we're in a series called Eating with Jesus. If you're just joining us, basically what we've been talking about since about Mid-March is all the stories in Scripture, especially around Jesus, that have to do with food. And we like food. And we love Jesus. And so it's interesting. It's a really cool match, right? Uh, first, we started talking about Jesus and his meal with, meals with people who were far from God, who were far from, the, like, church people, right? These were uh, tax collectors and sinners, um, when we talked about what it looks like for us to eat together as a community, that, that basically the early church was around the table and we actually ate together. Some of you were with us for that. Dan talked about life celebration and the calendar and all these different ways we actually eat together and mourn and celebrate with each other um, in light of life and everything that life shows us. Um, last week, we talked about joy, we talked about celebration, uh, we talked about thanksgiving, we talked about uh, as, a, as a church, as a community, we should be the ones that celebrate the most in the world. Well, today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be intentional neighbors. And what's interesting is I find that in our day and age right now, there just seems to be huge divides between people. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> but there's just, it just seems like for me, and I'm not old, but I'm also not young. Thank you, everybody. Um, there are, it seems like people are getting more and more uh, disconnected, more tribal, uh, more split apart, whether it be progressive or conservative, Democrat, Republican, urban, rural rich, poor, West Coast, East Coast, and everybody in between, okay? Racial, ethnic divides seem to be bigger, not less. Disagreements on things like immigration, vaccination, taxation. Everybody's got their thing, and everybody's vocal about it, and everybody seems more divided than ever before. So I started thinking to myself, self, is there a practice from Jesus that would help bridge the gap and heal those divides? Is there something in the life of Jesus that's there to tear down the barriers between people, what the New Testament writers actually call the wall of hostility? Is there something? And um, I believe there is. 
And I believe it has a lot to do with intentionality. Listen to this well-known story from Jesus. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, which is never, ever, ever a good idea. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in his question here, he's actually, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to see if Jesus passes What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Basically, how do you interpret it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a very famous Jewish prayer called the Shema. And, and, And Jews practicing faithful Jewish people in Jesus's day would pray this prayer three times a day. And so what this person is doing is just saying this encapsulates, okay, this encapsulates what it looks like to be a faithful Jewish person. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God with every square inch of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself You will experience life as it was intended, life to the full. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the interesting turning point to the story. The question laid on the table to Jesus is, who is my neighbor? So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this, because Jesus is actually going to lay out what a neighbor looks like. I mean, here's this guy trying to justify himself. He's trying to check off the religious boxes, right? Have I done this? Have I done that? And so he's just trying to make sure, he's trying to justify himself himself by defining, having Jesus define in him who his neighbor is, right? In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when when he was attacked by robbers, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay. Uh, You've probably heard this story before. It's the parable of the what? Good Samaritan. Uh, Which is always interesting how we title things in in our little Christian world, right? Uh, Jerusalem is about 18 miles from Jericho. Uh, 3,500 foot elevation drop from Jerusalem to Jericho. And there's pictures, you can look this up geographically if you're into geography and all that kind of stuff. It's like a very arid, uh, rocky, uh, zigzag, downward road that goes to Jericho. And some believe, um, you know, obviously this was a hot spot for thievery. So if you could hide behind a rock, jump out, scare somebody, (laughs) uh, jump out, take their stuff, beat them, whatever, to get their stuff, um, and then you, you made off well. Some believe that this isn't actually a parable at all, that this is actually a well-known story or a well-known series of stories that people have experienced in their life. So when the people are listening to Jesus, they're like, oh yeah, Jericho, yeah, that sounds about right. You're going to get robbed, right? A priest happened to be going down the same road. This is Jesus talking. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. 
And so I remember reading this story to our kids when they were little. And I remember Keelan, my son, going, isn't he supposed to be the good guy? Yeah. Here comes the priest, right? And for, you know, it's easy for us two millennia later to look down our noses at the priest and the Levite and judge them. And what's interesting is the backstory to this, the background of this. If you were a priest or a Levite and you lived in Jericho... Every priest and Levite was given like a two-week, you had a two-week schedule. You were on two weeks up at the temple in Jerusalem. So you would say goodbye to your family. You would hike the 18 miles up to Jerusalem. You would do your two weeks. And then on your way back down, okay, you've missed your family for two weeks. Um, You weren't paid in coins. You weren't given a salary or a stipend. You were actually paid with the offerings brought to the temple by the Jewish people. You were given a piece of that. So if you want to get really into this, Leviticus 21 through 23, have a great Sunday. But the point is, is that you were given an animal or you were given uh, food or offering or, or meat offering or whatever that you're carrying with you from Jerusalem back down to Jericho. So here's the key. You see someone who's hurt and bleeding. You're a priest or a Levite. This is food from the, from the temple. If any of this food comes into contact with anything that is unclean, what do you have to do with it? To throw it away. So, priest and Levite, cruising back down, missed their family for two weeks, sacrificial food with them, and they walk around. They walk around. It's kind of like, okay, didn't see it. <laughs> didn't see it. And then there's the right? Like maybe this is a trap. Maybe somebody else is going to jump out and get me. So put your head down, keep going. But a Samaritan, here's how the story twists. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which is very expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a lot of money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this is the huge twist in this story. Because if you were a Jewish person and you were hearing Jesus talk about a priest and a Levite, what would come next in the story would be the Jewish layperson. It would be the trifecta of temple help, uh, the trifecta of the Jewish uh, community was the priest, the Levite, and the Jewish layperson, which would be somebody who was of high standing in the community that people all trusted, but who weren't from the tribe of Levi. And they would actually assist in a lot of things that had to do with the people and their worship. And so if you're hearing the story, you think the third person to come along in the story is the Jewish layperson, which would be classic Jesus, right? Okay, the, 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 guy, the, um, the, the guy at the bottom, right? The little guy, the champion of the people. Uh, make, the, make the Jewish person, the Jewish layperson, the hero of the story. What does Jesus do? He throws an absolute curveball. 
and he makes a Samaritan the hero of the story, which is insane. And some of you know backstory for Samaritans. Um, Actually, if you were a Jewish person and you were hearing this story, your first thought in your head was, the guy probably got jumped by a Samaritan. He was probably the perpetrator. But backstory is there's a long-standing racial tension between Jewish people and the Samaritan people. And it goes back to 7th century BC. Some of us, when we read the Immerse uh, stuff, we, we read Chronicles. Um, There's confusing stuff in the book of Chronicles. Um, But what's happening is you have the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes of Israel. They had split up. There's a lot of backstory there. The northern tribes get carried off into Babylon, I mean, sorry, Assyria um, before the, 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 the two tribes of Judah get carried off into Babylon. So it's about 150 years before. The northern tribes, uh, not all their people get carried off. Some of them get carried off into Assyria. And and then what Assyria does is they're super smart at conquering people. They actually send some of their people back into the northern tribes, the area where the northern tribes were. And what happens is, is over over time, the Jewish people and the Assyrian people intermarry. Okay? And, and that is where Samaritans come from. And, and then the, Jew, the, the tribes of Judah who were sent into Babylon, not all of them went to Babylon, and then and some of them stick, stuck around. They refused to inter, intermarry. And so for the people in Judah looking at the northern tribes, they thought them as half-breeds and heretics. Now, The northern tribes, the Samaritans, actually looked at them as racist and cruel. A little bit of a division, wouldn't you say, between these two people. And what Jesus does, and here's what happens. If you keep reading in Chronicles, there's all these uh, warfare and terrorist attacks between the two. What Jesus does is he makes the enemy the other the hero in the story. Verse 36, which of these, he says, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law, who probably wish he didn't ask the question, can't even say the Samaritan. Can't even bring his, his mouth to say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, it's interesting. You've heard this story before, but I think it's a really interesting uh, jump-off point for us uh, this morning because two things I think Jesus does here. First one I think he does is he universalizes the, the idea of neighbor. That neighbor isn't just uh, someone you like or someone you get along with or, or someone you know. It's actually anybody that you come in contact with, anybody that is possibly to cross paths with you. And in fact, in our world, very globalized, there, it is neighbor means someone even around the world. Um, from this person whose name you cannot say uh, to, to people you know, it doesn't matter. There's no fine print, no clause that you can, anybody can get out of this. Everybody is our neighbor. So Jesus universalizes the idea of neighbor. And the idea is to will the good of the other at the expense of your own, even at a cost to yourself. 
That's Jesus' idea of universal neighbor. But a lot of times we stop there. But Jesus actually particularizes neighbor. And the danger is, is to just universalize neighbor, you make it kind of vague and you skip over the literal meaning and, and you just kind of like, yeah, you should love your neighbor. But what if Jesus actually meant your literal, actual neighbor neighbor? Like your physical neighbor. Like maybe even the neighbor of your, of your cubicle at work. Or your neighbor at your house, your, to your right or to your left or across the street. Or maybe uh, the neighbor, um, you know, that you meet, you're standing there at your kid's soccer game. And you're always standing by somebody. Neighbor. Maybe it's someone that comes to mind right now. Maybe it's a circle. When you widen your circle, you get to see how many neighbors you actually have. Look what, look what Luke does next in the story, though. Because we usually read to this point, and that's it. We, we do that because um, some brilliant uh, Bible put-togetherers decided that what we should do is chunk the Bible up into different stories and put headings over them, like our little NIVs and stuff like that. And so we just read to that spot and stop. But scripture wasn't meant to just read in small chunks. The next verse after the story reads this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, what's interesting here is this, it, that's a great story. We're going to stop there, and that's a great story. This is Luke's literary link. This is Luke being really, really intentional about how he's laying out the life of Jesus. He, he goes from Jesus telling the story of a traveler on a road who experiences hospitality from a stranger to going to Jesus being on the road and experiencing hospitality from, from Martha. And what's so interesting is about the, like, the road, we, we read the road, uh, the word the road, and then it says on their way, it's actually the same word, hadas. And, and opened her home to him was the final thing we read there. Luke ties three things together. He ties love of neighbor. He ties the person right in front of you. And he ties hospitality all together. Ties all three of those ideas together. So my question to us this morning, what if we were to recapture our homes as a tangible outpost for the kingdom? Like, what if we, what if we looked at our tables as, as a tool of love and service for our actual, literal neighbors? And we talked about this a number of weeks ago. This is a little bit more like part two of what we talked about at the beginning of this series. But this idea of um, a home is a man's castle or is whatever, I don't know what the phrase is, that idea of our, our homes end up being like retreats 
and, and castles where we hide out from the world, right? Where we lock ourselves in and escape all the stuff going on in our lives, in our world. And we can just kind of let our hair down and throw some sweatpants on and relax, right? That's how we look at our homes. The problem is, is I don't think us as followers of Jesus look at our homes any different than anybody else in the world does. And I think that's a problem. At the beginning of this year, we talked about what it looks like to be a creative minority. And I think this is an area where we need to recapture what it looks like to be followers of Jesus in a time that's very divisive, in a world that is very um, intense, um, and with this pull in our lives to want to lock the door, right? Castle up, hold up in our houses, recharge, and then run back out into the world the next day. See, we've learned that this idea of being a missionary means to go somewhere, right? To go out, to go some, somewhere outside of our homes, uh, and, and that the idea of being a missionary is not in and through our homes. And um, we, have, we may not have people on our way to work that have been beaten and robbed, and they're bleeding out. But we have people in our world that are bleeding out, emotionally and spiritually and lonely. People who really on the outside look like they have their act together, but in the inside are broken and hurting and lonely and alienated. I love the line from the Psalms, and it's just been rattling around in my head this whole series. And this line goes, he sets the solitary in families. This idea that God is wanting to put people who are on their own, he wants to place them with families. John Tyson, who was, um, he's a writer and some of the um, thinking behind our, our, even our Creative Minority series that we did at the beginning of the year. Um, he wrote this in a book called Sacred Roots, which is about the church. He said, what would the church look like if we chose to buy homes in the same streets and subdivisions, the same buildings and blocks, the same suburbs and sections? What would our love look like if, we, if it showed up dozens of times a week in small but profound ways, meals cooked, prayers prayed, songs sung, scripture studied, games played, parties Throne, tears shed, reconciliation practice, resources given. What if we stopped attending community groups and became groups of communities? What if our homes stopped being places where we hid from the world, but havens to which the world comes for healing? Like, what if we, what if we actually changed our mindset on our homes and our tables? Another writer who's been messing with us a lot, some of you have, have actually picked up her book. This is Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote this, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged, they know that the gospel comes with a house key question is, do we see our homes like that? 
do you see, honestly, I mean, I'm not, this isn't a guilt trip. Have you, like I have, been, been pulled into this idea, this inertia that, oh, this is my home, this is where I go to relax, this is where I can let my hair down, this is how I can be real. Do you see your home as your home? Or do you see it as a gift to steward and entrust? It's entrusted to you as a steward, and it's not yours. Is your, is your door you know, metaphorically locked? Or is it unlocked? Right? Is your table open or is it closed? Because there's no better way, in my opinion, is we're May. You're probably outside. You've probably seen your neighbors again. They're all like, like, oh, yeah, I remember you, you know. We lost touch last October. And everybody's outside and they're mowing lawns and they're going for walks and things like that. There's no better place to begin to apprentice Jesus than around your table this summer. There's no better place to, uh, to see Jesus' work at, you know, Jesus at work than, than inviting people into your world. There's a, a famous, a famous theologian philosopher named Francis Schaeffer. And uh, he's, I mean, he's great. Um, he wanted to experience community um, in a new way, in a fresh way. He grew up during uh, World War II, uh, actually moved his family to Switzerland um, just after World War II, uh, maybe in the early 50s, and started a, a house called Labrie. And this was a place where travelers could come and stay and, um, and discuss philosophy and religious beliefs and things like that. And he just opened his home for anybody coming through. And traveling through, and and this this idea kind of picked up steam, and um, a, a number of of Labrie houses started and spread all over the world. And here's what he wrote: He actually wrote this as advice to a friend um, who was thinking about starting up a house. He says, "Don't start with a big program. Don't suddenly think that you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally and start in your home. I dare you." I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ. I love that. I'm going to start saying that more often. Do what I am going to suggest. Begin by opening up your home for community. There is not a place in God's world where there are no people who will come and share a home as long as it is a real home. I love that. He's just like, I dare you. And so here's the thing. I want us to dream a little bit today. I want you to enlarge our horizon a little bit as far as the possibility of your home. I want you to imagine what your home could look like. And I know there's a lot of different homes represented here. I want you to go to the edge of your comfort zone and think about taking and, and maybe taking the plunge on the next step. But I, before we do that, I want to give you a brief history of hospitality. And I think this is super important in regards to the church. Because we've lost it. We've really lost it. We think hospitality is welcoming people when they come into our church building. And that is. And we have a great team that does that. But that's not what we're talking about here. The etymology of the word for hospital or hotel or hostel or, or even hospices comes from the word hospitality. That's where it comes from. 
Now, in Jesus's day, there were no hospitals, there were no hotels, travel was slow and dangerous, inns were rare, okay, like the one mentioned in the story, they were rare, and actually even those were quite dangerous, especially around certain parts of Jesus's world. So, in Jesus' time, we have two innovations that we um, celebrate from the Roman culture. There's actually more, but two that are really important. One is the legal system. We still practice the Roman legal system. The other one is the road system. The Roman Empire built roads everywhere for trade and commerce and travel. And, and what happened was... is. They made travel possible for regular people for the first time ever. But still, there was no place to stay. There was no place to stop along the journey. And so what happened is, as we learn from history, we learn from archaeology, we learn from, we learn from sociologists that followers of Jesus actually stepped in to fill the void for the traveling world. John Chrysostom Bishop of Constantinople, he actually made a charge to his church. Listen to this. This is great. He says, make for yourselves a guest chamber in your own house. Like he was the, the leading proponent for a guest room. He says, set up a bed there, set up a table there and a candlestick. Have a room to which Christ may come, saying this is Christ's room. And, and what he did is he set this charge to all of his church, and the practice became known as a Christ room. And people would actually spend extra money building their house. They would, they would, they would spend more time and more effort building an extra room onto their house called a Christ room for people to come through. Now, Constantinople is now what city? It's Istanbul. And if you're familiar with geography, Istanbul is the gateway between east and west. So many travelers came through Constantinople. And so the Christ room idea really took off. I mean, it was the first... Um, Airbnb, really, free Airbnb, right? This actually took off all the way through. There's so much uh, history to this, but even as recently as Dorothy Day and the Catholic Workers Movement, I don't know if you guys remember any of that stuff, but they actually started homes of hospitality um, in, in the last few centuries. We've seen that. Uh, so for hundreds of years, followers of Jesus made this a priority to actually have a guest room for travelers in their home. Then there's this famous quote in 362 by Emperor Julian, who was not a follower of Jesus, who actually complained to his friend in a letter about the atheists. And the atheists were followers of Jesus. Why were they called atheists? Because they didn't worship the Roman pantheon of God, so they were called atheists. He said in his letter about these atheists that their hospitality is winning over the empire. And he calls on his friend to get the priests of all the pagan temples to do the same, to imitate the followers of Jesus. I don't think that happens a whole lot anymore. <laughs> in 317 AD, Basil... Uh, he was a bishop. He, he founded the first hospital in response to a severe famine that took place. And at his eulogy, they called the hospital, listen, store, a storehouse of piety. And, and then 
pretty soon the monastery idea popped up. It was this new innovative idea called a monastery, right? And a monastery, what, what do you think of when you think of monastery? You think of people what? Bo- what, what do you hear? Buddhist? Monks, right? And, and you think of like kind of like cloistered, kind of set apart, hiding away. Actually, monasteries were not meant to be a hideout or a hideaway. They were actually on the edge. They were on an outpost. They were the outpost. They were past where the gospel was. They would put a monastery. And at the monastery, they would put followers of Jesus who did two things. One, they, they, they communicated the gospel. They did all that kind of stuff too. But they also were like the access point between culture, right, and the spiritual disciplines. Uh, the water wheel was invented at a monastery. Uh, beer was invented. You guys were like, that's better than the water wheel. Um, and it was the center of cultural influence on one side, and on the other side, it was also the center of the spiritual disciplines, and it was the collision of these two worlds, right? And then the, it came out of the monastery system was uh, hospitals, uh, caring for the traveler and the poor and the sick. And not until the 14th and 15th century do we have hospitals being run by the city in which the hospitals were in. We're talking centuries. For centuries, followers of Jesus were running hospitals. And you fast forward it today, and feeding the poor is now the responsibility of the federal government. And the Christian church gave up its responsibility. The final nail in the coffin was in the 60s and 70s when we decided that it should be the government's job to feed the poor. And we decided to spend all our money on church buildings. It's a little bigger story than that, but I just whittled it down. So I just want to spark our imagination. So many of the institutions that we have, bec- that we have come to rely on for human flourishing, so many of them, all started around the table of followers of Jesus. These all started around the followers of Jesus, the table of followers of Jesus. So I want us to spark an imagination in us. What could come from your home? Imagine, as we wrap up, a church like this one and a city full of churches like this one and not like this one, And every apprentice of Jesus is practicing radical, ordinary hospitality. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what things could get, how how good things could get in our city. Imagine the lines blurred between insider and outsider. (coughs) Imagine people like us living below our means in money and in time to create space for other people. Imagine us being known for throwing the best parties in town. And I'm not saying the most wild parties. I'm saying the best ones, the ones that everybody's included in and and people feel loved and cared for. Imagine a group of people, everybody who knows their neighbor by name and by story. Like actually know your neighbors. 
Imagine um, a group of people who are open and transparent to see the way of Jesus, what the way of Jesus looks like. They're not perfect. We're not perfect people, but we're, but we're, we're pushing into that. Imagine if it was said of your home like it was said of the church in Acts chapter 2, that there was no needy persons among them. That kind of an idea. Some of you are like, that sounds like a pipe dream, Ryan. Sounds like a utopia that you're trying to get to. But remember, we live in the intersection of two worlds. We talked about this on Easter. The world that is dying away in the world that is breaking in, okay? We live in the overlap of those two worlds. And we call that the now and the not yet. You can call it a lot of different things. And you might say to yourself, Ryan, people are hard to get to know. They don't want to have anything to do with Christians. Um, They don't like to be bothered. I get all of that. And yet our call is to move the kingdom forward one meal at a time. Like that is like our push and our call. And, and so what we're going to do, I'll, here's what I, I would love to see. I would love, to get, love for us to get intentional as a church this summer. It is May. It is the beginning of May. What if by the end of August or September, okay, you practiced this somehow, some way with your family, with your neighborhood, Some of you are like, wait, I'm out. I live by myself. Nope, you're not out. Wait a second, I live in my mom's basement. Nope, you're not out. Um, I don't know how to cook anything. YouTube, right? We talked about this before. Learn one meal. But what I want to do is I actually want you to get your head wrapped around your neighborhood really quick. Some friends of mine, um, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon, wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring. We've talked about it before. If you've never uh, read that book or if you're interested in, in diving in deeper, I would encourage you to pick that book up. But basically, what I've given you on your chair is a magnet. Everybody got that magnet? And so what this looks like is on a typical regular city house block, you have people to your right and to your left, you have people to across the street and down the corner and around behind you. The hope is that you would start by, can you fill this out with people's names? Like, can you put the actual names of your neighbor, first names, not the nickname you gave them, (laughs) don't do that. And I'm saying that to myself because I give nicknames. Can you put names in those? Can you do it? Funny story, we have new neighbors behind us as of new, (laughs) like two years ago. And when we first met them, he's from New Zealand. And um, I really thought his name was Ian Turns out I was so wrong. His name was Glenn. But the way he says it sounds like Ian. So I called him Ian for a while. Anyhow. Can you, can you, do you know their neighbor? Do you know their names? You're like, well, I'm in a condo, so this doesn't, you get it. 
<laughs> Literalists. Do you know their names? And some of you are patting yourself on the back right now, and you're like, yeah, I do. All right, well, let's take it a step further. Do you know anything else about them? Like literally anything. Besides what you don't like about how fast they drive down the street or if or if they don't take care of their lawn or anything like that. You know, anything else about your neighbor. My hope is, is that this isn't to, uh, to throw heaps of guilt and shame on you, but it's to inspire to move out in intentionality because there are real people living around you. And there, some of them might be bleeding out relationally. And they may need you. They may not need you. They may need to know that you need them. Uh, these guys, Dave and, and Jay, were actually uh, talking the other day about one of the things they learned about connecting with your neighbor is to, ask, is to, 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 to need them. Not for them to need you, but you to need them. Like, hey, I saw how you did that in your yard, or I saw you working on your car. Or, I, I got a, can, can you help me with something? Like, what does that look like? I mean, the, the point is, is I want us to have an intentionality around our homes. They're not castles. They're outposts. And so, really quick, we're going to do a little whiteboard exercise about what could be. I threw these ideas up here. You might think they're weird. Cue ideas. There it is. Number one, meet your neighbors. Some of you got to start there. You literally <laughs> make a lot of cookies and go make it happen, okay? Invite eight, eight of your neighbors over sometime this summer. Do a block party. Do a little barbecue or throw a block party. In Arvada, here's how important this is to the Arvada City Council. They actually have a block party trailer that you can rent and they will give you money to buy meat and food to throw a block party in your neighborhood. You just have to reserve it on the city's website. Redo your budget and your schedule. Make sure that your budget and your schedule reflect the intentionality of having neighbors over or being around this summer. Some of you may, may, may create a Christ room in your home. Uh, maybe you have the ability, you know people passing through, or, or you want to be available for people to stay at your home. Maybe some of you need to go on a prayer walk around your neighborhood. Uh, holiday parties are huge. We've got a few of those coming up. Memorial Day, you know, my birthday, and <laughs> 4th of July. Have a neighbor night. I heard this the other day. Um, front porch happy hour. Um, I think you guys were telling Sarah and Ruben. Um, they know people. I don't know how they are connected with them. But this guy would have a cooler of, of soda on his porch. <laughs> and everybody knew on Friday night he would be out on his front porch and you could just pop over for a cold one. <laughs> Bring back the Sunday dinner. Anybody grow up doing a Sunday dinner? Right? Like three or four of you can bring it back. <laughs> Just like this is what we're going to do every Sunday. We're going to have a big dinner together. And we're going to invite people to that. Sports, book club, cooking group. 
Some of you liked all three of those things. Make your home a hangout space for people. Reverse hospitality, that's showing up to people's homes with food. And how about just Taco Tuesday, right? Just like, what would it look like to be creative and be intentional? And I'm wondering what kind of stories we could share. It's May 5th, people. Like by Labor Day, what kind of stories could we share about who your neighbors are and how you've gotten to know them and how you've allowed them to get to know you, even if it's messy, even if it's kind of weird and awkward at first? That's my challenge.